Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Speak today to Justin Brown, who's the CEO of Element 25. They're a manganese uh, development company on the ASX project in Australia too. We talk about their recent PFS numbers, quite uh, spectacular numbers in there. Also look at the business model they've chosen to uh, follow, which is to get into production by Q1 next year. Obviously currently at PFS stage, so they've got a, f- a few things to get through between now and then. They'll have to finance that, which I think they'll be able to do with the money in the bank, and then look at financing um, in the market. So enjoy the podcast. Justin, how are you doing, sir? Very well, and thanks for bringing me back. Yeah, no problems. We had, we had you on back in March. Obviously, things have uh, progressed, and the world's changed slightly since we uh, we last spoke, but um, here we are. Why don't you give us that one-minute overview for people new to the story, and then we'll pick it up from there. Yeah, fantastic. So um, Element 25 has been busily looking at ways to commercialize our very large manganese deposit at Butcherbird. Um, we've we've got a number of strategies in play involving downstream processing through a leach uh, option, but what we've done more recently is look to optimize the front end beneficiation of the ore body to produce a concentrate for expert export to uh, offshore markets in the short term and generate early cash flow to fund future expansion of what's uh, quite an enormous resource. So. Um, that was successfully completed and released under a PFS in late May, and uh, we've effectively taken the decision to push the button on development of that phase one strategy, which is a modest capex, about fifteen million dollar capital cost to get into a cash flow positive position in ideally Q1 2021, um, with some pretty you know meaningful cash flows being thrown off that. So uh, it's exciting times for us. We're 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 hard at work, and we're we're looking to meet that deadline. Okay, great. Thanks for the summary. Interesting uh, model you've chosen to go with there, kind of low low capex, but get in, get some cash flow, improve a route to market, uh, and then and because that it doesn't really sort of tap into the the whole of the resource that you're talking about. But but first of all, again, just again for people new to this, because manganese is not talked about much. Okay, it's not it's it's not much understood. So let, if you don't mind, let's kind of go through. Um, the world of manganese. So, what's the total size of the market? Who are the main players? And you know, if you can give me some numbers in there. Yeah, sure. So, manganese um, is about uh, about 60 million tons traded annually. It's the fourth lar- largest traded commodity globally. Um, the uh, end use is primarily steel. All steel has manganese, and you can't make it without it. So, um, basically, it, it tends to go in lockstep with steel consumption. And that's been an uptrend for some decades, and is expected to continue in that in that vein. So manganese demand um, is concurrently in a fairly strong uptrend. The the main players, I guess, are China, obviously being the the main steel producer globally. Um, in terms of the producers of, of manganese, it's it's Australia's got a pretty big role to play. We've historically had three pretty meaningful mines here at Woody Woody, Budu Creek, and Groot Island. Um, South Africa is a, is a major player. They they account for about half of the seaborne manganese ore that's traded. Uh, there's a couple of mines in West Africa. A little bit comes out of Eastern Europe, and Brazil's the other major player. So that kind of rounds out the supply side. And consumption is is global, but but primarily Southeast Asia. Okay, so um, talk to me about what today. I mean, you talked about two, two different use in steel, and then yep. which is about eighty five percent of the world market. 
um, and the rest is what? What's the other fifteen percent? Yeah, so the, the well, it's actually more. It's more than eighty-five if you look at steel, because there's there's the high purity that we talked about last time, which is goes into steel as well to a large extent. Um, but there is a burgeoning market in lithium-ion batteries. So the, the question mark that everyone has is how quickly, especially given recent events with COVID-19, how quickly is that electric vehicle transition going to happen? Um, as that happens, that will drive demand in um, high-purity manganese sulfate for lithium-ion batteries. So we expect to see that come, but it's still uh, in its sort of nascent stages and its, its volumes are still relatively small compared with the volumes that go into steel. Um, but that's expected to change. And I think you'll see in the next decade or two that will uh, enjoy a big upswing uh, and become a bigger part of the manganese story. And it's obviously, there's more margin to be had there than steel. Yeah, it's a premium product. Absolutely, it's a premium product. So that's right. And that's why we have ambitions to enter that space. Um, I guess the difference here is that that's a relatively larger capital hurdle to get over to build the processing infrastructure required to do that. This is an opportunity for us to, with a fairly modest capital spend, uh, get into cash flow positive and, uh, and then use that, redirect that capital back or that cash flow back into the, uh, the, the project to, to grow it into those high purity segments. Okay, so let's, so let's talk about that because I'm interested in the, in the thinking. So we're seeing this more and more with companies um, not choosing to go with this, like, I guess, old school model, build out the resources, prove it to be as big as you possibly can and hope someone gets interested. So given that not many people talk about, discuss, know much about the manganese market, it's been tough, you know, it's been a tough road for you guys in terms of getting interest up mm. until those points, right? Um, so, so just in terms of educating the market, let's talk about the model. So you're saying um, you know the market that you want to play in, you, 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 yes. you, you've targeted that, you've decided to go early, get, you know, what are you talking about, 15 million market uh, capex, aren't you? Something, something. Yeah, so 15 million capital cost, and then there's there's an operating capital requirement of, and so total funding requirement about 25 million Aussie. Right. Okay. So what what were the options available to you, and why did you pick that? So we can't. We're not limited by scale, as you know, because the resource size is is large. And traditional thinking about mining would have would have said you should go bigger, go to a million tons or two million tons, which our resource size would easily um, be able to support. Um, the decision was that as a new player in a commodity like manganese, manganese is really about value and use. It's not like gold bars. It has to, the customer has to, has to appreciate it, its value and use. So 350,000 tons of concentrate was a bite size that we felt was, was easily marketable. Um, and the strategy is that, that if stage one is successful, very low capital cost, stage two is just around the corner because with a modest reinjection of capital, we can, we can double or triple that. So we're not we're not lim we're only limited in the short term it doesn't change our long-term thinking which is to get much bigger and take advantage of the large resource but it's a very um very simple short-term stage one strategy to get going okay and so i'm just out of interest what were the options that you discounted obviously building it up to a massive resource but were there sort of any interim options that you looked at yeah, so I mean, it was a, well. I guess I guess the electrolytic manganese metal that we talked about last time, the manganese sulfate was we talked about last time. Um, both of those had much higher capital hurdles. Um, the in fact, the 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 journey for this uh, final decision was based around developing a concentrate for feeding those larger scale hydrometallurgical plants, um, and it was optimizing that feed rate. And and when in in doing that work, we optimized it to a level that we recognized there was an opportunity to do a concentrate export business. As a startup, and then it was a question of sizing that, and sizing that was was probably more around marketability than 
capital constraints because you could probably double this and even if you doubled it to 30 million it's still doable um, but we felt that at this scale um, entering the market would be would be a sensible sensible bite-sized end of the market and then you could look at growth strategies after that okay and how did I mean I mean, again, I just find, I just find that whole process quite quite interesting about how you go about building up and and, and, and planning the route that you are going to sure. choose to enter the market. So, again, so looking at the the end product, you talked about getting um, you know an achieve it was a bite sized achievable uh, amount that you could sell into the market. So, what do you know about selling into the market? Are you going to just you know go for a middleman, or do you think that you you're going to kind of build up a team that can actually sell into market yourselves. How, how does it work? Yeah, fair enough. We've got a pretty experienced marketing manager on board who's XBHP stainless steel division. So he's well across how you market these bulk commodities. Um, there are a number of strategies that are potentially available to us and we're looking at them all from trading. I mean, in, in, in you can trade every cargo as a spot cargo if you want to. Um, the, the issue with that for us is that presumably debt will be part of our overall financing solution when we, when we wrap it all up. Um, the debt uh, lenders would like to see more certain uh, revenue uh, through an offtake arrangement. So we're talking to various parties on offtake, and that will involve um, you know one or more uh, counterparties who have a track record and a balance sheet that can get sort of put some put some uh, certainty under that revenue side, because that's what the debt guys will want to see in the early months until at least we pay down the debt. Beyond that, you can become more of a master of your own destiny. There's potentially ways you can improve your your revenue outcomes by uh, by targeting specific markets and and timing your your sales, but short term we're, we're looking for a strong, reliable um, offtake partner who who can sort of underpin that revenue. So what so what's been happening in the manganese market in terms of pricing? Okay, I mean it, it's I mean you've got a couple of charts in in your PowerPoint, but is it erratic? Um, you know, have you got some? degree of confidence about pricing going forward because you know, everyone bangs on about the EV revolution, the EV thematic, but sure. you know there's no, no, no kind of certainty and commodities you know come, come and go, supply comes and goes into the marketplace. So again, that comes back to the earlier question, you know, you know, what do you know about the manganese market to give you the confidence to, because you put out amazing IRR numbers in the PFS, it's early days, you've got a ways to go. But if it's some anywhere anywhere near that, it's 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 good news, right? So what's the what's the what was what's the in fact what was the pricing you used on the PFS? I I, I didn't look. We used, we used a discounted pricing from the benchmark thirty seven. That's the FOB Port Elizabeth price. That's one of the benchmarks that are used in manganese. Um, we used some analysis by Roskill that had a forward looking price forecast as our forward looking curve. Um, and that's and then we discounted it because we have a we're, we're targeting a 33% grade as against the 36 37% grade. We applied a discount formula to that unit price to to get a realistic price for our product. So that is the mechanism we used for the assumption. Um, we think on a on a long term average basis, it's a, it's it's a good assumption. We're happy with it. We think it's slightly conservative, if anything. However, um, you know, to answer your previous question, manganese can be volatile. So you do have to be careful about what pricing mechanisms you build into your offtake agreements. And you've got to look at ways to underpin the pricing that you receive, at least during those early months when you're paying down debt. Beyond that, um, our oil and sustaining cost sits around about the 30th percentile globally. So we're in a good spot on the cost curve. Um, and you know we've got some strategies in play that over the longer term will push push further down and hopefully into that, that uh, the, the uh, holy grail of the bottom quartile cost producer. And, and if you can get there, you're pretty well protected through all cycles. So 
Um, you know, we're, we're, we're our cost of production well below the, the marginal producers. We think that any short-term sharp downtrends in manganese will be short-lived. Um, broadly speaking, uh, demand fundamentals look good. Supply is relatively inelastic. We see a bullish future for manganese. That's supported by commentary from Macquarie recently. Their uh, headline was manganese ore stronger for longer. We have a similar view to that. It will be volatile. You'll have to put mechanisms in where you can ride out the rough rough patches, but at the same time, you'll make excellent money on the, on the good times. So uh, I think that's 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 the, the life of a manganese producer. Sounds, sounds like it. So let's talk about timing. Okay, you've just done a PFS. You've, you've, you're going to go through the traditional hurdles. Again, we've been speaking to companies recently who are deciding to, because the, the cycle, where they are on the cycle, they want to kind of skip a few phases, they want to go from PFS to DFS. So what's your process? What's the timeline? I know you talked about you know, Q121. So how are you going to do that? Yeah, so we've got a detailed, uh, we've got a project manager who's put a detailed schedule together. We've got our tasks uh, fairly you know, detailed in that. We're, we're, we've itemized set schedules against each of those. We're knocking them over as we go. We have a weekly meeting to monitor our progress against that schedule. And we're, we're so far achieving our goals. Um, the three main threads are approvals. Um, we need to get a mining lease granted as the first step there. We just announced that we have closed our last access agreement, which was the last impediment to the grant of the mining lease. So we expect that to be granted in the immediate future. Um, once you do that, you can put your approvals in. Their, their drafting is well advanced. All the environmental baseline surveys are done. We don't see an issue with meeting our production uh, timelines from an approval point of view, unless something comes out of left field. Um, the offtake agreements are going extremely well. We expect to be able to announce some milestones on that in the coming weeks. Um, and project finance process has begun. And, and uh, look, it's, it's if you look at the uh, economics of the PFS, um, it's it's fundable, right? So on face value. So we've got to go through that process, but we don't see an issue. Um, there is detailed engineering going on in the background. We don't expect to land a doorstop DFS in the traditional sense because it's a, such a simple pro project that. You know the, the the level of detail engineering is is limited. Uh, we have to do tails dams, bore fields. There's a bit of electrical integration to do, but you know in terms of the uh, processing plant, we're talking about five or six key items that are off the shelf. They they arrive in containers, they land on site, they're skid mounted or they're mobile track mounted units, and you know integration is a really straightforward exercise. No stick build, minimal concrete. So in terms of simplicity, this is about as good as it gets. Okay. Tell me about finance. Because last time we spoke, you had about a million and a half in the bank. You were trying to get a royalty deal over the line subject to listing on a, TS, on a TSX by the company. I saw that you completed that deal. I mean, did you think twice about doing that deal? I mean, given what you saw in the PFS, did you need the money? Could you have got it elsewhere? Why do a royalty deal? Oh, yeah, deal? Look, I think there were options available, but I'm not cons I don't have any regrets about that. I think that the royalty game is their game. Uh, we'll, we'll take the cash for working capital purposes. Um, you know, we're, we're still uh, sitting pretty comfortably. We've transacted on a couple of share positions. Um, and, uh, you know, from a working capital point of view, we're comfortable. We don't, um, we do need to resolve the project financing. So there is a, there is a financing exercise to do. Um, what form that will exactly take remains to be seen. We've got a lot of conversations going on with equity guys, debt guys, even off-take related financiers, potentially project level equity guys. So there's a lot going on in that space. So I don't have all the answers for you today, but we're very comfortable that we've got a lot of optionality. Yeah, but no one's going to finance you off the back of PFS. So, so you know, what's your preferred route, really? Yeah, look, I think, I think it's about doing the, the DFS work uh, that we need to do, but it just means not necessarily wrapping it up in a doorstop, that's all. 
um, the work will get done. Um, and how, how do you really pay for it? So it like, last time you had a million and a half. You've got another five hundred. Yeah, so, so we've got about five million bucks on the book. So we're not we're not uh, we're not urgently looking for money, but we do need to raise money. So there's there's a, but we're in control of the timing of that. Okay, is that because you've been selling down the? Uh, I think you were talking about um, Dana Carly. You, you had some ability to monetize uh, so your position so we, there. We sold out of a position with a company called RareX. Um, we've obviously right. got the, the royalty deal done. Got it. Um, we've also got holdings in Dana Carly as well. So if, if you combine all of that, it's north of five million dollars. Um, the timing of, of disposal of, of remaining positions is, is, you know, at the board's discretion, I guess. But there's no urgency for us to, to rush out and take the, the, the first bid that comes through the door. So you've sold out of RareX, RareX completely. How much did you pull in from that? Uh, so that was that was about half a million bucks. Okay, so that's gone. And then the Danakali position, obviously, well, at the time it was about three million when we spoke in March. I don't know if about, things have changed. About three million. Right. And have you sold down any of that? Ah, uh, look, probably selective disclosure of these things is probably not what the ASX would like you to like you to do. But that'll come out in the quarterly. Okay. When's that, G? In end of the quarter. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Helpful. Coming up, imminent. Imminent. Great. It'll be out, it'll be out next month to, to put a put a time frame on. Thank you. Uh, and Acuity Capital, you had a sort of financing facility available. Have you been using that? We have. So you would have seen from the announcements that we, we raised about half a million bucks at, at 36 cents from those guys. Um, so that was important working capital as well. Great. Okay. At a nice price too. Um, so. So what are, what are the things that, um, you know, between, between now and Q1 next year that you're focused on? What are the things that say, like, Craig, we need to get this nailed? If you're having conversations about finance, I get that. But technically, what, what are the things that make you nervous? Uh, probably not, not a lot, to be honest with you. The, the work that we did in the PFS, we, we, we kind of call it a PFS plus. So we don't expect any movement in the, in the capital, any meaningful movement. I mean, that included a, a contingency. Um, we think that's ample for any variance that may come in. Um, you know, we'll, there'll be puts and takes. We'll make it. We'll save a bit on some, lose a bit on others. But we think the number is unlike the deviate from the, the, the 15 million that we put in the PFS. Um, we are refining the working capital modelling. I mean, that working capital that you saw there of nine million was basically three months operating costs. Nothing more sophisticated. We think we can do better than that. Um, in terms of technicals, the, the detailed engineering and electrics, um, the specifications on plant equipment. Is, is being done now. Um, we're identifying minor issues that we're, we're, we're altering, but no major changes in the in, in the, that from the PFS. So, man, nothing's nothing's keeping me awake today, to be honest with you. Um, unless something comes out of left field, I think we're well on track. Okay, and I saw Seamus has been buying in the market, um, which is obviously good, sends a nice message to to shareholders uh, uh, and new potential shareholders. Have you seen any movement from some of the funds? I mean, are they, I mean, you're still quite, you're still small, right? Yes, probably yep. not yet quite interesting enough. But have you been having more conversations with them? We certainly we had a lot of interest. I mean, there's no doubt there's a lot of interest. I have calls most days, um, and you know, expect that to continue. I think people see this as a bit of a, a bit of a surprise story. It caught a lot of people unawares, and I think people are sort of uh, looking at it very closely. Um, increasingly since since we sort of kicked off. I mean, I looked at a couple of numbers. I mean, our, our average volume before the PFS was about 40,000 shares. We're now averaging about 890,000 shares. That was obviously skewed because of the, the, the few big sessions we had immediately after the PFS, but it's a healthy increase in volumes. Prices increased, obviously. Number of shareholders has increased. So I think I think the, the, the investment community is definitely seeing us as a, a legitimate potential producer in the short term. 
Okay. Yeah. Well, and I and I and I hope I hope they do. Um, what so what's what's next then? You know, what's next? What should we be looking out for? Two hundred and fifty things. We got to we got to confirm a bore field location. We've got to sort of lay out the plant. We've got to finish that design. We've got to get a main roads access crossing to build our haul road so we can get our ore to market. We've got to finalise contracts with haulage uh, operators and port. Uh, we've got to we've got to finance the finalize the project finance and um, we've got to put down payments on long lead time items there's maybe there's a raft of things that all go with building a project and um we've even got to upgrade our accounting system so just if you want to be really bored we could talk about that for a little while no we're good we're good um <laughs> let's just another you know it's, it's a nice little update um you said you were going to do it. It, it you did it the numbers look great um i guess the market just wants to wants you to sort of see can you can you deliver it in that accelerated time frame that you're you're hoping, hoping to. Yeah, no, exactly. And I think, you know, just to reiterate, there's three core threads. There's permits, there's finance, and there's offtake. And I think if, if your viewers watch closely, they should see uh, meaningful milestones in all three going forward in the short term and medium term, and then, you know, kicking off in Q1. So we're, we're on track so far. Good. Okay. We'll pick up the phone and let us know when you've hit any of those or all of those. I'll be interested, very interested to hear. Will do. And thanks, thanks for the opportunity today. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to CruxCast or our website, cruxinvestor.com and of course our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming and we'll speak to you again soon.